I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey Ben. Hi Matt. How you doing? I'm doing great. So we don't usually try and make these things in any way timely. We just talk about stuff mm-hmm. that is, you know, true forever. But a friend, ex-colleague of ours, recently posted something rather inflammatory about something which is dear to the hearts of many. And mm-hmm. I, my sodding dog is making such a noise behind me. <laughs> We're going to carry on. I'm afraid I am dog. I'm puppy sitting. Yeah, we have a guest so we, on this week's podcast. A special right? guest is is uh, yeah is Monty who is a 12-week-old uh, black lab and is, is currently in the pen behind me. Anyway, the solid principles are things that are sort of tra- taken mostly as truth by a lot of people. I- I'll see it in code reviews all the time. People say, hey, this doesn't conform to solid. And Dan recently posted a blog entry that's sort of taking it down. And we figured we should talk about that. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll be totally honest with you. I've been a software engineer for 20-ish years. And I don't really know what the solid principles are. You know, I, I just kind of people say about them and I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll refactor my code in the way that you said. Right. So right. I'm going to look to you to teach me, first of all, what, the, what what they are. And then maybe we can talk about some of the things Dan raised. And maybe you've, I'm, I know you'll have opinions because, yeah. because you're Ben. I have opinions. So, this, is, this, so is what my, are, this is my gig because I have opinions. What are solid? Uh, so, yeah. So let's talk about solid principles. Um, so just... Obviously, all of our listeners can Google solid principles and know what they are. All of our are. listener. <laughs> all of our listener can, can Google the solid principles. But just for those who are, you know, in mid-podcast and don't want to be bothered, uh, they are uh, S stands for single responsibility principle. O okay. stands for the open-close principle. L That's the most confusingly for, named one Yes, we'll talk sorry. about all these. We're going to talk about yeah, yeah, all sorry. these principles. You go through them first. Uh, L stands for the Liskov substitution principle, named for Barbara Liskov, who, who presented that in a presentation in the 80s, I think, is when she proposed that. Uh, I stands for the interface segregation principle. D stands for the dependency inversion principle. So those are the so solid principles. No wonder, no wonder. I mean, I can't imagine why I never sort of committed that to memory. It seems right. so obvious in retrospect. Yes. Uh huh. Right. Of course. Um, so yeah. So the and the controversy is particularly interesting for me. Uh, I never really had the opportunity to work directly with Dan. He was sort of around and about at Prev Prevco for me. You know, I ran into him a few times and had some conversations mm-hmm. with him. It's not like we ever sat down and wrote code together, but, you know, I sort of talked to him and uh, was very interested to hear a lot of his ideas. Uh, I did actually work a little bit with Bob Martin when I was at um, Object Mentor back in the, you know, 2008-ish time frame. And, you know, as we had the guest on, before, James, James Grenning, also worked mm-hmm. with him at Object Mentor. And when I was at Object Mentor, the solid principles were definitely part of the, you know, curriculum, I guess I would say, that we would that they would teach in their training sessions. Right. Um, and so, you know, that was something that was that was very much a part of that. And I think I think Bob is kind of known for promoting those principles as good principles of design, you know, his books talk about the solid principles and stuff like that. So while I don't think that Dan was maybe directly talking to Bob when he was saying, 
the things that he was saying about Solid. I think at least he had in the back of his mind, Bob would be one of the people that he would be. You know, if I were if I were framing such an argument, I might sort of assemble a virtual panel of people in front of me and sort of right, yeah. argue with them in my head. And if I were Dan, I would say Bob would maybe be one of those. Bob people would be another. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I have a little bit of of you know I can see both sides. I've 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 had con- direct contact with both sides of this war. Um, and so war is, I, is that's a strong phrasing. Let's not let's not phrase phrasing. it as that. Yeah, right. I know. I, I'm being I'm being a little funny here. It's I don't really think that there's actually that much of a controversy here. Right? No, like, sure. Um, but um, I can definitely I feel like I, I can argue both sides of this argument. Um, and I have my own sort of take, which is not really in the middle. It's sort of like a third thing <laughs> off to the oh. side. Um, so we can maybe interesting throw that well, into the mix and evaluate sounds, that for on its merits. Interesting, but let's let's talk at least briefly. Let's do like a one para- paragraph so that I, at least I understand what each of those S O L I D things. So S, the, the first one was was what it was single responsibility principle. Okay, that so. One, I recall something at the, when I was working at Google, mm-hmm. it was it was sort of boiled down to me and transmitted to me, and to, or rather it's stuck in my memory. And maybe you can tell me if I'm actually right on this one. It's like, yeah. if you're writing the description of a class and you use the word and, mm-hmm. then maybe, just maybe, that class is doing too much. So you want to like break it into two classes or something like that. And I, in my mind, I've combined those with, with the S of solid, right? That's what I think of when mm-hmm. people say single responsibility. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, if I can explain what this is doing... It's a price class. It holds a price. Well, right. there you go. I think that's probably it. But you know, if it's the, uh, um, I, I, I'm now I'm not going to come up with any good answers. But if I have to put the word and somewhere when I'm trying right. to describe it, price then and probably, quantity, right? <laughs> well, yeah. You see, that's where it gets tricky, right? No, because <laughs> you just call that you call that an order, or you call that a like. There's another name for that, right? Well, Maybe. that's not true. So yeah, you've picked. That's a perfect example, actually, yeah, right. unintentionally, because. Almost like I- <laughs> It's almost like you thought about this before, but yeah. price and quantity is a really convenient abstraction to have in a trading system mm-hmm. because you always want to pl- place an order. And an order is not a price and a quantity. An order has a price and a quantity. Mm-hmm. But then so does a an order that's resting in the market. So does your maybe your risk limits in some ways are related to these things. There's, there's a number of ways where that tuple of a price and a quantity going together is a useful thing of itself. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really have two responsibilities. It just holds two pieces of information. Right. Maybe that's where you're, you're – now you're nodding at me like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. this. I mean these – a lot of these are heuristics, right? Like the heuristic that you got at Google is if you're putting the word and in a, in a class name, think about it, right? Like, you know, are you are you putting together – and I think a lot of this – there's a lot of – I don't know if this is good or bad, but my experience as a software developer has been a lot of this is almost like an oral history that gets passed around from developer to developer about here's mm-hmm. the things you should generally do and here's the things you generally shouldn't. And the interesting thing is that the oral history among a lot of developers turns out to be the same in a lot of respects. And I think single responsibility principle is one of those. It's sort of like the Unix principle of do one thing well. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of, and you can find other examples of this where it's like, you know, keep things focused, do one thing. But then the arguments sort of come in in terms of like, well, what do you mean by one thing? Right. Right. One thing is a different thing because, like, my my price class can also represent itself as a string, and it can mm-hmm. be formatted, and it has all these other things. So, like, if you were to describe the responsibilities of my price class, it would be mm-hmm. wraps the abstract no- um, notion of, of the value of something and can represent itself and perform arithmetic on itself. And and, and, and before you know it, you've got like a hundred ands then in a, in a useful class. Right, right. But they're not really, yeah, it, 
Yeah, they're not different responsibilities. Yeah, Rob. what do you mean by I responsibility? Mean, is, is a responsibility? And what do you mean by single? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like. What do you mean by? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that too much? No, okay. Right, right. And I mean, I think that this actually going back to sort of you know Dan's comments, I think this is part of what Dan was good at getting at is he was you know he was saying you know don't worry about single responsibility, just write simple code, right? Right. Um. And it sort of made me think as I was reading this actually of, of your the, the thing you've mentioned uh, before uh, the one seconds worth of like microservices like it's there's it's really hard to measure how big something is you have mm-hmm. to kind of come up with some heuristic and you, you've used time of before now as like a, well how long does the unit tests for this bit of code work right, and that's an right. interesting way of, of measuring it as yeah. well and you but know it's arbitrary so, like, right yeah to each their own right yeah right reasonable people could disagree about what it means to be small or simple mm-hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so for me, the way that I interpret the single responsibility principle is sort of the inverse of another principle that is not in this list, the dry principle. Don't repeat yourself, right? Right. Um, where um, the litmus test for me is is something like this. If my boss comes to me and he says, hey, we need to change this this business logic, right? And I with the knowledge of the code, look at the code and say, okay, but if we change that, then we're also going to have to change this. His reaction tells me whether or not I followed the single responsibility principle correctly. If I say, well, we're going to have to change this. If he says, oh, great, perfect. That's exactly how it should be. Then I know that I followed both the single responsibility principle and the dry principle correctly. I have one place in the code where that business decision is made and it is impossible for me to change it without changing the things that it depends on. So it's like if I if we if that wasn't true and I changed this and then two weeks later he came to me and be like, Well, you changed that thing I told you, but then this other thing broke. I'm like, Oh yeah, were those supposed to be the same? He's like, Of course they're supposed to be the same. I go, Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. Then I haven't followed dry in that case, right? Mm-hmm. But if he comes to me and he says, well, we have to change this, and I say, Okay, well, we'll also have to change that. And he and he says, Why? That's dumb. Why would we ever change that? then I know I haven't followed the single responsibility principle and I've squished two unrelated things into, into the one thing, right? Understood, yeah. And so this is kind of the thing with dry too, where it's like you can have two pieces of code where the code is identical, but the reasons for that code to change is not. And unifying yeah. them is actually making your code worse because now you're in a situation you're where you change things. You're coupling things together. You change the, one thing and you're changing something else that's totally unrelated. And that behavior needed to stay the same while this other behavior changed, right? Got it. And you can have a situation where you have two totally different pieces of code that are, in fact, the same thing. And what you should be doing is refactoring that code so that it looks the same and then unifying it, right? Got it. Yeah. So but you're, me- you're driving it from a business sort of point of view, from a, right. the idea of like, yeah, which obviously not we, not all of us have the same experience of having a direct business owner that can tell you that kind of stuff. But sure. you, you're kind of like conjuring up in your mind's eye the sort of pointy yeah. head boss to, to, to measure these things in, in this sort right. of slightly uh, thought experiment way. Yeah. Well, and I personally don't think that all – that it, it's it's impossible for me – to say, without understanding the context in which a program is going to be used, whether or not, for example, two pieces of code are duplicated, right? You can show me two pieces of code. I can say, like, yeah, that's the same code. I'm not going to tell you that you should unify them unless I understand how the code's being used, right? You right. can't separate that understanding. That's part of an engineer's job is to be the bridge between the technology and how the technology is being used. Got it. 
So, and I think a lot of the solid principles have to be thought of in that context of like, you know, how is this actually being used? So we've, we've covered the, the S of solid, mm-hmm. and I think we've got done at least some justice to, to Dan's point about it, meaning it meaning many things to many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe we should move on to the O, yeah. which again, I've already forgotten what O is. O is open close principle. Open, obvious, I mean, again, trivial, trivial <laughs> understanding now. I, right. with a, with a single letter O. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. So what uh, is open closed? What does the open close principle mean? So that the, the the pithy phrase here is that a code or a module or a class or however you want to scope it should be uh, closed for modification but open for extension, right? And the the way that I kind of interpret this as is if you have existing behavior that you don't want to change, you shouldn't have to change it in order to add new behavior. Yeah. Now that's and that's a goal, right? You're never going to be able to achieve that 100% of the time, but like to the extent that which you can do that, what this principle is saying. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily true, but what this principle right, is right. saying is is to the extent you can do that, you have produced a better design. You know, design A is better than design B because it is easier to extend and you don't have to modify. Right. Now, this is this is a place where I, I have a lot of sympathy for Dan in that like a lot of what people sort of get into with this is reuse, is designing for reuse, right? They want to write code that can be easily reused. But that isn't always the right goal for anyone. Right. I, I mean, I'm pretty <laughs> short reuse most of the time when it comes to – like I like I like to discover places where things are reused and not try to predict where they're going to be reused. That's a nice right? – yeah, that's a good analogy. You discover it. It's an emergent property of the code and the way you're going, but – very rarely do you sit out and go, I'm definitely going to reuse this. So I'm going to polish this beautiful, reusable gem only to discover it's used in one place mm-hmm. in the code. Or indeed, you've hamstrung yourself to make by making it so difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I, I often wonder if there's like a strange legacy in programming where it's like, you know, in the beginning, there was ones and zeros. And then we invented languages. Right. And so like a lot of programming, you know, this sort of oral history comes from the problems of language designers. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that was sort of the beginning of programming. Right. Of, of like, you know, the design of, of programming languages. And a lot of those problems that languages, language designers face sort of got held up as the important problems to solve. When really, if you're just building like application code or even certain systems code, like, that's not really the main problem that you have, right? Like, a big problem for me isn't creating a reusable standard library that is easy to use correctly and hard to use incorrectly, right? Like, that's not a problem that I solve. I Occasionally, I do, but not very often, right? Whereas, you know, if you're designing a language, that's a lot of what you're doing. Of course. Right? Um, and so, you know, to me, the open-close principle sort of falls into the in a little bit into that category, which is, you know... It's useful in certain situations, but I certainly wouldn't make the claim that code that follows the open code principle is just always better than code that does not. Got it. This definitely falls more under the sort of guidelines for measuring a design, perhaps, in, in but somewhat in a vacuum rather than mm-hmm. being specifically in my use case. I'm, and from my experience as well, like the, the tooling has changed. 
significantly and the way we build software has changed maybe since this it's not and you know oo which sort of to me when i hear that the open closing i'm thinking of like oh yeah this is a class where you've got extension points that are like overridable but you don't necessarily have to that's mm-hmm. obviously one way of achieving that kind of thing but it's it smells right. like that's that's the way perhaps you you would be uh wafted towards by the sorry yeah. that doesn't make much sense but yeah <laughs> it feels ooe to me and yeah, it doesn't have yeah. to be and and so you know like again with with um modern tooling now if i need to change a piece of code it's not scary to open it up i have tests that protect me from mm-hmm. like other people's pieces of code and if i need to just go and change something i can go and change the code and or use a refactoring tool to add things all these things are in there so it doesn't seem as frightening now if i was publishing a library and it was v1.2.7 then i'd have to think about it which i suppose mm-hmm. goes to your point about not all of us are writing libraries all the time most of us are just trying to get the next version of your app or your code deployed and code reuse is not such a a big deal but obviously a good design still can be beneficial right if you start mm-hmm. out with a giant list of strings that you everyone has to kind of edit in three places to add another string in in order to extend your library and make sure right. they agree that's right. a bad design measured right. by any axis right so if you yeah 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 i think at a certain point application of the open close principle in most contexts just devolves into decoupling right and this is mm-hmm. again kind of getting back to dan's point about like just write simple code right like okay i think it's a little bit more nuanced than that but you know the open close principle really when you get down to it is just things should be decoupled from each other so that you don't have to change things in four places or you know if i'm if i'm reusing a function i shouldn't have to read all the guts of the function to understand how it works or change it or you know all that stuff um, but I think that the the main application is like you say, like you know, if you're if you're building a library or something like that, you really want to think about it. If you're building a library that is going to be used by somebody that you will never meet, um, you know, as opposed right. to someone else in your organization, you want to think about that. Um, but you know, it's just that that one is is much more about context, I think, than the the, the first yeah. one. I mean, just in defense of like the library writing thing, I'm just going to very briefly. Uh, Every now and then I've written, I've prematurely created a library, (laughs) shall we say, and designed it a little bit more than it perhaps needed to do. And probably one in 50, one in 100 times I've done that, someone else has discovered it and gone, oh, this is useful, and then used it for things that I didn't originally plan it for it, which is great. Right. But I don't think the benefit of people finding those libraries and then using them and then emailing me and kind of going, yeah, thanks for the, that thing, by the way. We've been using this all the time in our in our side of the business. You're like, oh, that's great. Wonderful. Um, but that doesn't outweigh the, the pain and suffering that one goes through trying right. to design for something where you, you're, you know, you're trying to invent a customer you don't have to design your software so that yes. that customer can, can reuse it. Yes, yes, yes. Speculatively doing that is like, you know. It's an, and it's a tax and it's expensive. Yeah, and, and it yeah. is. It's way more expensive to write library code and, and reusable code than it is to write something that's like more application focused for sure. So then L. Yeah, L. Liskov substitution. substitution principle. Which means you can switch in Barbara anywhere you like. Yep, you can. Any Barbara-shaped object can be replaced with a sub-Barbara that is equivalent in every respect. Um, no, I I actually, I don't know if this is true. I was I was trying to figure this out when I was reading Dan's, Dan's thing of like, I have heard that Barbara Liskov proposed this as an argument against inheritance. She was like, if you were going to make an inheritance system, it would have to have this property, which is a ridiculous idea. So inheritance, (laughs) therefore, is a ridiculous idea. 
Oh, and, it and, was a reducto ad, ad yes, absurdum. The, yes. the, the, the unfortunately was just went, oh, and we have to be absurd then. Yes. Maybe one of our listeners can point us to a reference on this because I was trying to find out whether or not I've heard this. I don't know if it's You've true. You've heard it right. I, I want I want to I want a reference that says that, yeah, no, that's what Barbara Liskov meant when she did this. Um, and so it's super <laughs> ironic that it's in the middle of this list of principles. Oh. Um, this to me is something that is very much about object oriented design. Mm-hmm. Um if you are writing code in a functional language, this is not something that you ever really think about. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit in corner cases, whatever, but it's certainly not risen to the level of this is what it means to write good code, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's the, the basic idea here is that, um, you know, if you have an interface, if you have an abstract class and you have a subclass or a subtype then the behavior and the definition of behavior is a little bit nebulous here, but the behavior of those subtypes should be indistinguishable, right? So you can swap out any subtype and you get the same behavior, quote unquote. From well, that's the, you from see, that's client. where I mean, I I think I understand where this is going, but that description and the, or descriptions like that are inherently extraordinarily confusing to my pragmatic day-to-day use of mm-hmm. of subclassing and interfacing. It's like the reason I have an interface is so that I can have things that do very different things right. when you call, right. you know, what is your name? They yes. don't all say, I am, an, I am an animal. They go, I'm a dog or I'm a cat because those are the only obvious ways or I'm circle lines. What Pick your OO right. <laughs> standard. Now, uh, it's, it's, hierarchy. I think it is kind of important to say that like this is from the caller's perspective. Right. Okay. So it's if the if the internal state of a of a class changes differently depending on which subtype it is, like that's completely fine. But that's hidden away from the caller, right? Right. They don't they don't know that anything is different. So from um, the point of view of the contract between the caller and the callee, mm-hmm. there should be no sequence of events without you know reaching exogenously to the file system right. and kind of going, did you write a file or whatever? Yeah. I shouldn't be able to puppeteer an object that uh, I've been given and work out. What it is just by using the API, uh, the the yeah the calling callers API. Yeah, yeah. They look the same, right? It's not like you go well if it's this type you have to call free, mm-hmm, and this one right. you don't have to call the free thing because you know hey it doesn't matter because it's not actually allocating anything. So you don't, and you're like no no you always have to call free even if it's a no op in the derived class or whatever right, right. because you have to treat them all equally you're not allowed to go is instance for example right. yes exactly <laughs> which exactly. is the you know the, the hit the back door that we all end up having <laughs> Some, um, somewhere sometimes i would never do that all the time no of course i only do course. that sometimes um yeah and i mean i think i think bob would say in fact i, I know that bob would say because he's written about this that this is much more about polymorphism than it is about inheritance right it's and you can have this property in languages that are not strongly typed you can have this in languages like python or ruby or i was gonna JavaScript say it just smells like duct typing yeah it's, it's it can be duct typing you prag- pragmatically in strongly typed languages this often comes down to like function signatures like things can't be following this principle if they don't share the same function signature because then or method signature because then you have to know which one you're calling and pass it the right arguments um but you know again i kind of see this as an artifact of object-oriented programming with a lot of inheritance hierarchies which i tend not to use anyway and a lot of polymorphic behavior which i use sometimes but Again, it's like, does this really rise to the level of like the top five principles that you need to be aware of when you're writing code? Like, yeah, no, not really. No, it seems not. Yeah. I mean, there are equivalents in functional languages, right? Matching on different 
aspects i suppose you could argue is a sort of polymorphism like you depending on these things but but yeah you're right it seems very specific to a particular popular in the 90s programming yes. paradigm yes yes and yes. and it be and it made a nice neat backronym fitting l mm-hmm. in the middle of an otherwise cool you know exactly. soid it would have like what no one's gonna want my soid properties <laughs> yep find yep. <laughs> exactly. the l um and okay, and so that's so that's listening. And the thing is, is that it only gets worse from here, right? As we keep going through oh, right. the, we're scraping the barrel yes. of, of letters. <laughs> yes, we started strong, and now it's like as you go, like it gets even more and more. Like this is very clearly about a very particular kind of object-oriented design. That again, you know, if you're still doing that, then you know you probably know these already. But if if you know, it, it's like that. So interface segregation, you know, you're keeping the interfaces. So this is you have an interface to a thing. This is the right? I, right? We're on yeah, the I, we're yes, I we're now. on I right now. Um, you have an interface. You want to keep that interface as narrow as you can get it, so that the clients don't don't depend on things that they shouldn't, and so that the implementers of those interfaces have the least amount of burden in order to implement. Again, this is very much about like inheritance hierarchies and interfaces and Yes and no. I mean the stuff. interface can be a library interface, presumably too. Like you like, hey, my library exposes exactly two functions. It has allocate yeah. and it has free. Yeah. And there isn't a thousands of other and the only reason I bring this up is because something you mentioned there was like um to reduce the burden on calling things that you know you shouldn't mm-hmm be get calling on and it made me think of Hiram's law which is the the law that anything you expose no matter how intentionally or otherwise will become yeah. relied upon by somebody yeah. at some point given enough users yes. of your class so like that reducing the the footprint of that seems like a good idea and that can happen in C libraries as well as C++ or yeah. other object oriented languages sorry I'm very focused on specifics here but yeah so <laughs> yeah no no that's that's a good that's an excellent point um and actually, you know, now that come to think of it, I was making a very similar argument to that in an earlier podcast when I was talking about file system abstractions and mocking. You remember that? Yeah, and I, I was do saying that, that constraining yourself to a limited number of file system operations makes it more likely that you can swap other things out, right? If you Absolutely, if you don't yeah. think of something as a file, you think of it as this sort of abstract stream that might be a socket or it might be a pipe, right? Like that is good. I. I kind of think of that as a very liberal interpretation of interface segregation principle because it's yeah. when they say interface in, in ISP, I think they literally mean like a typed interface. The actual but, keyword interface yes, is probably involved somewhere in that's this. That's what I, I I can yeah. be talked off of that opinion for certain. Okay. And I honestly, I I'm think it's more useful. Try. I think it's more useful if you do. And, you know, to your point of like thinking of it as more of a general lowercase i interface, not capital I type interface um <laughs> but I, I think it's more useful if you think about it that way but yeah i i was making that exact argument not not but a few podcasts ago so maybe i should <laughs> in the strange time space of podcast yeah, yes in, in spot in podcast time so that's i that's i and then the last one d dependency inversion principle basically he's just like dependency inversion principle is you want high-level things depending on other high-level things, not low-level things. Right. And it's like, I, yeah, okay. So if you have an – let's take the, the object-oriented example here. You have an interface that takes an argument. That argument type should be probably another interface and not a concrete class, Right. Like you don't want to constrain the implementers of that interface to say that they have to take this particular concrete class. 
you want them to depend on a higher level abstraction, which is, again, an interface or an abstract class even, rather than a concrete class, right? This is where like anyone who programs C++ is going, uh... <laughs> We we right. try not to do that, or you know, like there are various reasons why not. But we've talked about that before. So yes. but let's, in yes. the abstract, high level components depend on other high level components rather than reaching down into the the guts of 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 the class hierarchy and having the sort of um, well, I guess that's the inversion of the the mm-hmm. dependency inversion is like having this dependency on on a low. Level thing, mm-hmm. which then maybe depends on a high. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I cut yeah. you off halfway through the explanation, and I'm confused now. Well, I mean, this is. I think this is the least clear of all of them, and this is the, probably the place where I agree most with Dan. Right. Just like, yeah, just write simple code, right? Like, it really isn't any more. There's not more, much more to it than that. Now, you know, that's that's my personal opinion, but I I think especially for all the reasons that you were just talking about of like in the C++ world, there's lots of other ways to solve that problem uh, right. rather than creating higher level interfaces, you know, templating, for example, I think could be mm-hmm. potentially yep. used there. Um, but, you know, this is a, this is the thing where I, I think I, I agree the most with Dan and I say, okay, yeah, just, just write simple code. So for me, the solid principles are like, they start off real strong, you know, mm-hmm. S single responsibility. Yeah. Totally get that. I use that all the time. Makes total sense. Open close principle, yeah. In certain contexts, that's really kind of valuable. Liskov substitution may have been a prank. Uh, <laughs> interface segregation only useful in very specific situations, and right. I don't really find myself in situations anymore. Independency inversion, it's like, yeah, I just don't care. So really, the solid principles should just be like so. Yep, and even the O is kind of like I, I sort of like, yeah ninety percent match on the question S. mark. Right? Yeah, it's right. Like- the regular expression of this acronym. <laughs> Yeah, this is. I mean, I was yeah. going to say this is why we don't have books, but you do have books. Um, but you don't. You don't. I don't believe you've backed up any of your books with with complicated backronyms. Uh, no, uh, no, I do have one actually. Oh, I, I, I do. <laughs> go on, go on. You can. I have one. Relevant. The fire, or not? the fire principles. Oh, you do. The, yeah. The fire attributes. I guess I did do that. I mean, I was a consultant. You have to. Literally, that, that's your job. That is your job is to come up. with It's in the pithy. job description. You have to come up with the pithy. You getting people to remember it, right? And. You know, people don't remember what you do and they don't remember what you say. They only remember how you make them feel. And when you make programmers go, ah, then they feel something, right? Otherwise, they're just, <laughs> they wow. don't feel anything. So you have to this drive it home going with wrong. those sort of really terrible puns. That's the key to, the, to Oh, that was the sound of a pun, right? Because I was going to say, most developers <laughs> I meet do make that sound, but then usually it's frustration <laughs> at me and something I've done. No. Well, no, no that's, that is, uh, you know, uh, happy sailors complain. Have you heard that? No. Yeah. Uh, if you if your sailors are complaining, they're happy, and if they're silent, then you're in a lot of trouble. There's I about see. to be a mutiny. But as long as they're complaining, you know they're happy. That's right? An, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. I I think that does does make sense. Sadly, that's, that's the programmer mindset I've seen <laughs> right. many, many, many times, and had many, many, many times. <laughs> um, so yeah. So that's that's. I mean, you know, that's sort of the quick run through of of solid. Of what and solid is my is. take on them? And yeah. I think we've we've done we've mentioned a few of the things that Dan brought up in his article uh, along mm-hmm. the way. And I mean, I basically because again the the my understanding of the solid principles wasn't very strong. Other wasn't than very like solid. the S wasn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh. oh, there you are there. now I'll remember because this is how you made me feel uh, no because my understanding wasn't that good uh, the article was made sense to me just of its own because it was making good points 
but uh, I think I've got a better understanding now. But were there any parts of the article, of Dan's article, that we haven't covered? Possibly. I read it like earlier today. Yeah, I feel like we I don't have to read through the whole thing. It. it was more a question of me wanting to pick your brains about what solid was, so that I could have a decent mm-hmm. understanding. Because mm-hmm. I think I've I've long had this feeling that I I'm not as as real a programmer as most people because I spend most <laughs> of my time in the weeds down in the the lower levels of of the the technology stack and. There you can you got a free pass for a lot of the good design principles, all in the the name of performance. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. We don't use this because that's that would be too slow. And right. I mean, I've I've spending more and more of my time realizing that the things that I say like that are not actually true anymore. But it has definitely given me a, about a fifteen year free pass out of like good solid engineering principles, like you mm-hmm. know high level engineering principles. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. I, I suppose I'm a little bit um, behind. And I'm now just abusing the fact that we have a podcast to learn from you, which doesn't seem like the worst <laughs> yeah. worst idea for me personally. Well, I mean, I, I think a question you could ask are, in general, are programming principles a good idea at all, right? Like, mm. do they hold up over time? Is this a good way to teach people? Is this a good way to mentor people? Is to have a set of principles that you say, like, this is what represents good software design. Um and I think I could maybe argue that the answer to that is no. I could definitely argue that the answer is yes. I mean, I professionally argued that the answer to that is yes. <laughs> but then your paycheck could... was re- was somewhat independent of people believing <laughs> right, you. Right, right. Like, oh, no, really? Okay, well, then we don't need to hire you. And that's the end of this conversation, right? Um, and I, I mean, I can, I can argue – I think I can argue both sides because I can definitely see merit to both sides, right? Um, getting back to the whole, like – so there's a, there is a technique. This is not a principle. This is a technique that I have used quite a bit when I am trying to teach people how to mentor. So mentoring mentors, Whoa. right? And it's called shuhari, and uh, it's it comes from I think it comes from a martial art. I'm actually not sure on the entomology of this word, but um, or this Isn't phrase entomology, but, the study of insects. I think. Etymology. Etymology? Yeah. <laughs> You're not I sure also, about these insects. <laughs> unsure about the en- etymology of entomology. So, uh, etymology. <laughs> and so, shuhari is this, is this basically three-phase model of mentoring where you give people sh- – uh, shu is the first phase, and you give people a rote series of steps to follow, right? Mm-hmm. So, you say, do these things, right? Ha is the second phase – where you start to help them, they they start to see patterns and you start to help develop patterns and you name the patterns, right? Like, and literally in software engineering, we've had the patterns movement and, mm-hmm. and, and other principles like this, where you say, you know, these are things that tend to happen and this is what we call it when that happens, right? Uh, and then people can start to mix and match those patterns and they see the world in patterns and they start to recognize them. And then re is when you sort of move beyond that and you start focusing on outcomes, right? Like you don't worry about the patterns. You just think about this is what I want to achieve and you have enough experience and knowledge to just know how to achieve it, right? Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about shuhari is that it is a shu level technique, <laughs> Follow these steps and you will achieve this outcome, right? <laughs> so when I'm teaching people how to mentor, the first thing I usually teach them is shuhari, right? The shoe um, of the shuhari. The shoe of the shuhari, right? And so that second phase, I think, is where these kind of principles have the most value, right? 
because you're trying to get people to move beyond the sort of rote copying of do this, do this, do this, do this, to starting to ah. see what's going on and see the patterns. And being able to name them lets you talk about them. Because yeah. if you don't give them names, and it's, remember that thing that we did the one time with the bubble, yeah, blah, yeah, yeah, blah, yeah. you're 15 I minutes mean, of the conversation before you got to the Absolutely what the, you know, the Gang of Four Patterns book gave me. Mm -hmm. It gave me a vocabulary to describe, even if we weren't using them very often. But you could just say, hey, you know, that thing, that's a flyweight. And then you could have a conversation mm -hmm. about why it was a flyweight. And that, yeah, super useful. But yeah, no, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so like, once you have those names... You know, and it's like an electrical engineering. You have a resistor, you have a capacitor, you have a transistor, right? Like you, you don't have to describe the properties of a capacitor every time you want to talk about, right. you know, a two and plates indeed, that when you're like doing like EE one hundred one type stuff, mm -hmm. you know, you're just mm -hmm. like, yes, you put a resistor. It's always a two hundred and twenty ohm resistor <laughs> next to the LED because yeah. you, you know, and it limits the current, and then you just right. move on with it, and you say, you just do that. Yeah, forget yeah, about it. In fact, yeah. you'll see. I've seen some people online with like they just make these these LEDs that have the two hundred and twenty ohm resistor, like like on the leg of the of the LED, mm -hmm. so they could just plug them into them but never blow them up, right? Yeah. And then yep. later on, you're like, well, what's the principle of that? Well, it'll explode if you put the full current through it. And then later on, you're like, well, I know, I, you know, I understand yeah. what I'm trying to achieve. I'm just gonna, I don't even need the light, <laughs> so yeah. I don't need the resistor, <laughs> and I don't need the LED. I'm gonna put, lick my finger and put it on that. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's on now. That's, that's <laughs> Whatever. it. Whatever. That's it. Exactly. You know, I'm trying. Yes. Not, not the best. Yes. Analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at each phase there, you can kind of get stuck in a little bit of a cargo cult, right? Where if you if you're just following a pattern and you never really, or you're following the steps and you never. If, for example, somebody's livelihood depends on you um, following the things that they're saying, then one yeah. might argue that there's a certain like not so much a cargo cult as like a, a willful. Uh, recycling of ideas which i know right. we've got ideas you know we, we've talked before about how we do this um this process of determining what we're going to talk about we've got some of those things on our list so i don't want to go i don't want to go into that <laughs> now we've got not enough time left to start on that whole world yeah yeah but but yeah i mean so there's these are like the eddy currents that keep you in one of your little things because you know, there's, there's, you know, there, uh, there, there's the agile world that says, no, this is how we do things around here, and there's a benefit to being able to talk about it. But then, as you mm -hmm. say, it could be a limitation, right? There's lots of parallels with lots of things, and a lot of it comes from expertise, right? Like if you are observing something that somebody does, and you start to hear them talk about things in terms of patterns, but you don't understand what those patterns are. You can actually subtly reinforce that sort of pattern style thinking because that's the only mode that you have to communicate with them, mm -hmm. right? You say like, oh, shouldn't we add a resistor to the to the LED? I don't know anything about resistors or LEDs, but that worked at my last job, right? Yeah, you're like, like oh, no, but unless, you, unless, yeah, yeah, like yeah. unless you really understand why it is that you're doing that, then it can be the the org organizations can reinforce this, you know, managers can reinforce this. All kinds of things can sort of, you know, standards committees and certifications and all of these. Are you a Scrum certified? Blah blah blah, because you do these steps and those steps and this steps, right? Like all of those things can be reinforcing to sort of keep people to sort of hold them back and like never let them progress to the point where they are letting go of the patterns and just focusing on outcomes. On the outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that that's a really powerful way of thinking about it. But you and again, it's not like this is a bad thing necessarily. It is it's a natural no. progression. Yes. I mean, I'm just thinking about silly things like learning to drive. You know, you get mm -hmm. in the car and your driving instructor says, "Do these things." Question mm -hmm. not why we're doing them. You know, one <laughs> right. day you'll you'll do you'll realize why. And I mean, particularly uh, in in the UK when I was was growing up, actually one of my best friends was my 
uh, his father was a driving instructor. And there was all these things that we would have to do, like passing plates. As you turn the steering wheel, you always have to have one hand on the steering wheel, which mm-hmm. means that you're essentially got your hands at the like 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock position. And then you kind of move up and then you pass it. And then you put your hands back down and you're kind of like shuffling around to turn. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he would drive me home or he'd drive us home, me and my friend home. And he would like have one hand on the top of the thing, <laughs> spinning it around with his palm or letting go of it in time. I'm like, I'm like yeah. Clive, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget what I... <laughs> This is, we teach you these things because that's what we're expected to teach you, and that's what's going to pass the test. And there yeah. is foundation in why. There's a reason in why of those things, right? It's because if you're if you are uncertain of the road that you're driving on, you hit a mm-hmm. pothole and you haven't got your hand, both hands on the wheel, or at least one hand strongly on the wheel, then the car could jump and disappear off. And if you're traveling at forty miles an hour and you're not able to keep mm-hmm. it straight, you're in trouble. So we just teach you this thing. Later on, you'll be changing your shoes in the car while you're late for a function <laughs> while holding the wheel with your knees <laughs> and pulling the choke out in the manual car to keep the, you know, as a poor man's. Yeah. I mean, friends of mine have done these such things, right? So, you know, but you, you, you learn to judge the, the, the situation based yes. on the experience and yes. what the outcome is, which is hopefully not your impending crashing into a tree and right. your, your <laughs> right. But so th- that. That yeah. makes sense to me, you know. And again, when you get like somebody coming new into a team, you're like, "Hey, this is how we do everything." And then mm-hmm. hopefully you have a period of time where they 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 say, "All right, we'll just go along with what you're saying for now." And then I'll get a feel for the whys, which may not be as easy to communicate. Then we can have a discussion about the. Oh, I observe that you do these things together. Why is that? Oh, yeah, we've had this problem once where we deploy and then we had to back it out. So we always make sure that we can. We can do this. So every time you do a deploy, you always immediately wind it back just to prove to yourself that you can do it or whatever the technique is. And they go, well, if we, right. what if we can develop confidence another way? And then so on and so forth. I see. It makes perfect sense yeah. to me. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, the solid principles are a way, especially if you're operating in that sort of uh, object-oriented world. And honestly, I kind of feel like they almost apply more in Java than they do in C++. Like, they sort of came out of the 90s. And I feel like, I mean, obviously, Bob and those guys are very well experienced C++ programmers, so it's not like I'm I'm saying that they're they're you know coming from a place of ignorance on this. But no, of course. But, but. It, you know, I I, I maybe would char- recharacterize this as it's in a lot of ways easier to apply those principles as written in Java, right? Yes. Um, like it's much clearer, and you know maybe that's a a nod to Java, and it's it's you know was based on the design of of things that at least at the time were were novel and good. But it, you know, it's it's something where unless you're you're doing that particular style of software development, you know, it's just so-so. Ha ha. Oh, well, I yeah. mean that seems like yeah. seems like oh, we can't beat that now. <laughs> and mic drop. This is definitely a mic way or mic wallop as I keep walloping my mic on its funny stand you can probably hear. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's awesome. Um yeah, well, now I know what the solid principles are, and I know that I can disregard the the, the lid. Drop the lid. <laughs> take the lid off solid. Drop the lid. We can make some more puns. Um, yeah, right. And we know that the open-closed principle or open-closed principle really just means write easy-to-understand code that's easy to change. And the single responsibility principle, I think you praise it as write easy-to-understand code. <laughs> so what I'm really hearing Maybe is... Maybe a little more nuanced than no, that. No, yes, it's just, yes. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> write straightforward code 
And that's almost always mm-hmm. the right thing to do, right? If you're faced against faced up a, a decision, it's like which one's the easier one to do? And most of the time, mm-hmm. it's the easier thing to do. And I've, if I were to quote Bob, I would say yes. Write simple code all the time. That is what you should do. The solid principles can be a way to achieve that if you know how to apply them correctly. That sounds like a great way of explaining it, and a great way to finish the episode too. Sounds good to me. So, catch you next time. Yep. been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godbold. Find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com. <laughs>